This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance Plus, save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. 30 seconds to hear. What do you think about flowers for the show notes? Anyone have the promo for the show notes? Wait, where's the Fiji water? Is this, this isn't... Is this tap water? 15 seconds. Can somebody get the cat? I can't drink tap water. Can someone tell Joe's mom to stop vacuuming? It's not hard to find. Has anybody seen my hair gel? Tesian water. Natural. Quiet on the set. Live in three, two. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and today is National Grammar Day, so on behalf, forthwith, I will speak it very properly and formally, if. So please call me Douglas, and let's introduce your excruciating guest, uh, not, not the term, uh, su- superbulous, superbulous guest? Yeah, that's better. Well, the gentleman who will teach us how to speaketh betterer. From the Speaker Lab podcast, it's Grant Baldwin. Plus, Joe and OG will converse giddily about headlines with witty repartee. And I will save room for my finely tuned, unobfuscated trivia. And now, two guys who wouldn't know good grammar if it hit them right between the eyes. It's Joe and O-J-J-J-J-G. Isn't it B hit them between the eyes? If B hit them? They do B. They do B. They do hit B. them between the eyes. Hey, everybody. 
Welcome to Phonics for the Win. I am Joe Salci. I average Joe Money on Twitter. And across the card table from me for Wednesday, it's Mr. OG. Staring down the barrel of spring break. This is the time where the kids are just psychopaths. I was, I was thinking, are you excited or shaken? As I am not doing anything for spring break, it's just another just another day for me. My kids, however, are excited. I bet they're excited. You know what I'm excited about? I'm excited about diving after we record this back into Masterclass. Big thanks to Masterclass for supporting Stacky Benjamins. You can find hundreds of video lessons from today's most brilliant minds available anytime, anywhere on iOS, Android, desktop, Apple TV, and Amazon Fire TV. Get 15% off your annual all-access pass. It's already a great deal, but 15% off your annual all-access pass at masterclass.com forward slash stacking. You know what's cool about this, OG? We were talking to Andrew from Masterclass, and I was telling him about how you and I already use Masterclass. And he said every time that he talks to somebody about representing them like we are now here, he's like, they always respond that way. Like everybody's excited to be affiliated with Masterclass. I'm glad we can get 15% off because I love what they do. They are super cool and well done production-wise. It is very well done. Well, OG, a great way to get your kids through spring break is to have them read The Stacker. Stacker is where I tell a lot of my personal story and how I learned money management. And you'll find out everything about what's going on here in the basement, whether it's upcoming travel, live shows, new merchandise, great books that we like, whatever it might be. It's all at The Stacker. StackyBenjamins.com forward slash Stacker. We got a great show. Grant Baldwin is here and uh, OG, he's going to help us with our speaking. And by the way, I know what you might be thinking. You're like, I don't need to be a speaker. I will tell you the biggest soft skill, the word soft skill, the words soft skill when applied to speaking, completely, completely misplaced. I, I think being able to, to speak coherently and craft a good message whether you're going to be a speaker for hire or just stand up in front of a group or even just talk to your boss, being able to speak well is a huge skill. I'll tell you when I first realized this, when I started going from office to office as a financial planner and the different receptionists, when I saw some receptionists work OG versus others, I saw truly that uh, communication skills could totally change the way that a client felt about the experience they were about to have with their financial planner. And I thought, man, do I need to make sure I set the table correctly when I'm talking to anybody? Well, it's like the first impressions, right? It's why they say that you only have, you know, seven seconds or whatever. That's why you should have polished shoes. I mean, it's people make a snap decision immediately on how they think about you. I can think of people I instantly liked and people I instantly didn't like after speaking with them. Grant's going to walk us through some great techniques today. But first, we got some awesome headlines, so let's move. Hello, darlings. And now, it's time for your favorite part of the show, our Stacking Benjamins Headlines. Our first headline comes to us from Napa-Net, the National Association of Plan Advisors. Good news here, OG. If uh, you're one of the many people who are relying on Social Security for 100% of your retirement, this written by John Eichel, Social Security is on track to stay solvent through 2035. So as long as you die by then, you're golden. All right. Read the details. You don't actually mean 
the that social, they'll run out of money. The Social Security system will be solvent until 2035, according to a new projection from the Congressional Research Service. The projection comes in CRS's latest update of its assessment of the Social Security system's finances, which takes data from 2019 into account. In Social Security's funding shortfall, CRS says that in 2019, Social Security had total income of $1.062 trillion, 92.4% of which came from dedicated tax revenues, total expenditures of $1.059 trillion, 98.9% of which were for benefit payments, and trust fund reserves of $2.9 trillion, U.S. Treasury securities available for future program spending. In 2020, the CRS expects Social Security's expenses will be greater than its income. With these asset reserves, the trust funds are projected to remain solvent until 2035, says the report. That means that until 2035, the trust funds will be able to pay full benefits scheduled under current law on a timely basis. In 2035, however, CRS projects that the trust fund reserves will be depleted. So to your point, it doesn't mean that it's going away, but it does mean if we see a shift... The extra, the stuff on top will will be back to even money. We'll be at zero and, by the way, still falling. Yes. Well, they'll figure it out the night before. A continuing resolution, I believe, will be passed. Well, which brings up a point. Whenever I have to rely on a government entity for the basis of my retirement, it's funny. I don't remember which guru said this, but when you think about being able to save now versus not being able to save. She said, you got to get yourself out of now, OG. You got to get yourself to later. Like if it doesn't scare you, if it scares you more to save than it does to not save, picture yourself in the future and future you can't do anything because you didn't save any money for, for that later date. And the way this goes is as you build that fear and you crystallize it, and go, man, what if I show up at 70 and I just have nothing but a social security check coming in? That should be enough pain to make you start saving today. Well, and you don't have to get all the way there, right? You can just start saving a little bit now. Start investing 2% of your paycheck in your 401k, 4% of your paycheck in your 401k. Do a little bit and increase it slowly as you're able to. The hard part is getting started. People always say the first million's the hardest. The second one is twice as easy. And it's true because because at that point in time, that money already has enough money that it makes its own money. For those of us who are not sitting there with million-dollar investment portfolios, it's hard to fathom that on a million-dollar S&P portfolio, your money will produce $20,000 or $25,000 a year of straight cash dividends. I mean, that is a lot of money like two or $3,000 a month, give or take, on a million bucks. And that doesn't include what the price appreciation does. That's just cash. And that didn't start out at a million. It started out by putting $100 in. started out by putting $200 in. So make the effort to do a little bit. When I was a young entrepreneur, I used to listen to this guy who was on late night radio named Bruce Williams. He was just a fantastic radio show host. And he would always talk about financial issues and entrepreneurship. And it was just a question and answer thing like Dave Ramsey's show is. Somebody called into Bruce and said that they, they were struggling with their business. And he said, well, you need to find the things that you're not good at and hire somebody. And the person said, 
well, I can't afford to hire somebody. And Bruce said, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to look at your right hand because Bruce was always great with these little things. I want you to look at your right hand. He goes, are you doing that? Color goes, yeah, okay. Now change hands with the phone. Now look at your left hand. You doing that? Yes. You will never go further than whatever you can do with those two hands. You will always go slow. You will always go slow. And it's the same when I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Sharon Lechner and Robert Kiyosaki, who we even talked about on Monday. One of the big breakthroughs I had in that book is it's the same with your money. If you don't save anything, you're only going to be able to go as fast as you can work. But if you get your money out there with a lunch pail every day working on your behalf, it's not going to work fast at first, OG. But over time, to your point, now you'll have the equivalent of two of you going to work every day, then three of you going to work, then five of you going to work. Money makes money. It's like having kids. You just put them to work. Put them to work. You you don't have to do dishes anymore. You get to retire from dishes. (laughs) Retire from mowing the lawn. Retire from making a podcast. It'll be great when I'm sitting here and I'll see little mini OG sitting across from me. Like, yeah, dad dad delegated the podcast to me. Dad's retired. (laughs) Our second headline comes to us from Vice. This is fantastic. Uh, Tim Geyer wrote this. You want to get a job, OG? Sometimes you want to think a little creatively. These guys figured out a way to get endless free McDonald's, but they weren't even after the free nuggets. Listen to this. Last November, software developers Lenny Backlin and David Albert discovered two loopholes in the German McDonald's system, which allowed them to order an endless supply of free food. Recently, I met the two Hamburglers and their colleague, Mats Tesch, at an East Berlin McDonald's so they could show me how they did it. McDonald's receipts in Germany and with a link to a survey page. Once you take the survey, you receive a coupon code for a free small beverage redeemable within a month. One day, David happened to be checking out how the website's coding was structured when he noticed that the information triggering the server to issue a new voucher was always the same. That meant that he could build a program replicating the code as if somebody was taking the survey again and again and again. But who wants unlimited drinks with nothing to sink your teeth into? I played around with the coupon generator, and after about five hours, I discovered another vulnerability, he explained a vulnerability that allowed them to order free food. At the McDonald's in East Berlin, David began the demonstration by setting up an internet hotspot with a smartphone. Lenny connected with a second phone and a laptop, then turned the laptop into a proxy server connected to both phones. You know, we could all do this, right? He opened the McDonald's app, entered a voucher code generated by David's program. The next step was ordering the food for a total of 17 euros. The bill on the app was transmitted to the laptop, which set all prices to zero through a program created by Lenny, and sent the information back to the app. After tapping complete and pay zero euros, we simply received our pickup number. It had worked. Then they went. So he's a thief. Then they went to pick up their free food. No, this is cool. My building excitement about the free processed meat was soon deflated when the guys told me they weren't actually there for the free food. It was just a demonstration. Okay, we'll pick it up and pay for it, said David, not wanting to fleece the billion dollar multinational chain out of 17 euros. <laughs> a little stink, but how many times did he did do that before the guy from Vice showed up? I, I don't know. At the counter, he tried to explain what he'd just done. Relax and enjoy it. It's all good, said the manager, refusing his money. The guys told me it didn't always go this way. When they tried to hack the app for 15 burgers in Hamburg, the boys told the manager what they were doing. The order was canceled before it was prepared. Uh, this time, they decided to give the food to a homeless person who was nearby. But what they were looking for was they went to McDonald's. And they showed McDonald's what the vulnerability was 
and McDonald's gave them a reward. They weren't allowed to tell how much the reward was, but they got a reward from McDonald's for finding the loophole. I know there's a lot of companies that'll do that, kind of have like hacking competitions, basically, you know, find the vulnerability in our process or in our, in our system, and then we'll reward you for it. I know that there's consulting people and that's a lot like strategic consultants or management consultants. That's a lot of how they're paid. You know, obviously they charge fixed costs, but it's based on the premise that we're going to find this inefficiency in your process. This is true for freer money too. I mean, I think, you know, we all have inefficiencies that, that we have, whether it's, I don't know. I just, I found in our life, we have a rental building that we own and we have utility bills for each one of the uh, units. It's really ridiculous. And the city will not put it together in one thing. So they charge us $3 and 95 cents for each one, for each transaction to, to pay it with our credit card. They charge us a dollar 50 to pay with our bank account. They charge us zero to mail them a check. So unbelievable. So like how, know, how you know, backward is that? So it makes more sense. It, it costs you less money for me to mail you 14 checks and 14 envelopes because it costs me less money. You know, the cost of envelopes and stamps are less than a dollar fifty. Yeah. You know, so that's, that's crazy. <laughs> it's try just, to find the inefficiencies in your life. That's, yeah. Ooh, that's our lesson. Well, and I'll tell you spot number one for most people to check subscriptions. Subscriptions oh, is goodness. a number. I know Norm Champ said that on our show. Yeah. Middle last period. And, and, and I, I just, my head couldn't nod enough. I'm like, yep. Subscription. Well, you go through are, it and you're like, you, you what the hell is this 1999 for? Yes. Oh, it's in case I need 37 terabytes of data from Apple. Right. Yes. In case I do, maybe I don't. Well, here's, here's the one that gets us. I don't know about you, but, but, but I use Google drive, Google drive. And a lot of people don't know this keeps an archive of all of your stuff. So all of a sudden I found myself hitting up against the top and I'm like, I, I don't have that much stuff in here. How am I hitting up against the top? And all Google told me was, Hey, looks like you need to expand. Looks like you need to buy more. Why don't you sign up for a subscription to buy more? And I know it's, it wasn't a ton of money, but it was money. And then I found out there was an archive of every single thing. And I cleaned out that archive. <laughs> I've got tons of space. Just tons of space. And now every time we run up against it, because we always are storing files for the show there, I always just go and go into their stupid archive. I wonder if the archive, by the way, for these things, I also found that for my phone messages. My voicemail recently was filling up and a friend of mine showed me that there's an archive of that too. That even though I deleted the voicemail, there's an archive on my iPhone of all my deleted stuff. And I'm wondering if there was a lawsuit at one point. That said, no, you need to make it so that even if I delete my stuff, I can still go get it. Or do you think it's the salespeople that are like, just put it in a different folder. Those idiots won't know where it is. And then we can charge them $9.99 more. We can sell them more. It's just, it's so annoying. I would have never known had I not been in the field we're in and know a bunch of tech people. So I think our takeaways for today, uh, social security Probably going to last past 2035, but I still wouldn't plan on it, OG. If you can plan on it without it, I think that's probably a better idea. I'm planning on it. For all of your income. It's required. It's, it's a requirement for it's my your, retirement plan. It's your plan. casino money. It is my retirement plan. That and the lotto. That and the mega millions together. I'm going to use all the money to buy lotto tickets every, yes. every month. Social Security put it all in the Powerball. Bam. Instant, Can't lose. Instant retirement. And then uh, second... Looking for a new job? Maybe think creatively. 
Although stealing fries <laughs> might not be the might not Hamburglar's be the, already taken. Yeah, yeah. That job's already gone. Grant Baldwin, super successful speaker. I was very privileged to MC a few years ago the FinCon conference back in Charlotte, North Carolina. And Grant was one of the keynote speakers there. He's the creator of the popular podcast, The Speaker Lab, and he has an online course booked and paid to speak. But now he's got a new book out called The Successful Speaker Five Steps for Booking Gigs, Getting Paid, and Building Your Platform. Don't want to talk to him about all that OG because most people listening to the show don't want to be a successful speaker in that way. But one thing Grant knows very well, and he's incredibly nice to talk to us about, is how do I just put my best foot forward, whether it's talking to my boss, building an argument for a pay raise, standing on stage, giving a best man speech, whatever it is. How do I put that all together? Grant Baldwin and public speaking coming down to the basement. And here he comes down to the basement. It's our old friend, Grant Baldwin. Grant, how are you, man? Your mom makes the most delicious milk and cookies. I would have had one more. She kept offering, but I was like, I got, I got to go see Joe. I'll be back. I'll be back. I get upset that she always gives those to people that she really likes, but never do her own kid. What's that about? I have no idea, but I will see if I can pick up some on the way out and bring them back downstairs to you and smuggle them on my on help, the way out the door. Help out a friend. That's why Grant and I are friends. Everybody right there. You. I was just thinking you and I have talked a few times, but more around our professional collaboration. I don't think you've been on Stacky Benjamins before, have you? I kind of feel like maybe I have. Maybe. I'm with you. Like, so at this point, I know on our side, I've had two different podcasts. We've done 400 plus interviews and it all just starts to run together in your head. You're like, (laughs) I know we're like, there's the other day I did an interview with a friend and I was like, uh, oh, and don't forget to come check out, you know, such and such on my show. And he messaged me. He's like, dude, I've never been on your show. I was like, really? Are you sure? (laughs) So there's, there's some of that. I was thinking that just a minute ago. Well, it's better late than never. If not, because as somebody who speaks for a living, I really wanted to talk to you about this idea of public speaking because I'm somebody that never thought that I'd be a public speaker. A lot of people in our audience don't know that I'm a natural stutterer. I had to go to a speech pathologist for a long time. I still stutter, but I just don't do it out loud. So people don't even know that about me. And yet Mm. I I have a podcast. And it's funny for me, speaking has been obviously for what I do, such an important part of my life. When did you first realized that speaking well, communicating well with other people was going to be important for you? Yeah, I think a lot of times when people think about being a speaker, we think about it in like the professional sense. And I certainly have done a lot of that as a, you know, keynotes or workshops. But the reality is, is like a lot of people who are, who are listening, a lot of people that we interact with are speakers in different contexts and they may not think of that. So if you're giving a, a presentation at work or if you're giving a sales pitch or if you are teaching a Sunday school class or if you're at, at a meeting and just asked to share some of your ideas or if you're on a podcast interview or if you're doing a Facebook Live, like all of these are just different forms of speaking and communicating. And the reality is, is like in this day and age, and this has been the case for maybe since the dawn of time, is that people still view those who speak well and communicate well and are articulate 
people who are speakers have a level of credibility and authority and recognition. And for a lot of people who, uh, especially who are building some type of personal brand, having that type of credibility, having that type of respect from someone just because they're, they're well-spoken really goes a long way. And it carries a lot of ancillary benefits that can really help someone in a, in a lot of different ways, professionally and personally. You have a new book out about uh, speaking, and at the toward the beginning, you talk a lot about putting your best foot forward and speaking well. And I like the fact that, and you know this as somebody that trains speakers, Grant, people get so intimidated by speaking, but you make a big point about talking about the fact that it's not about being polished as much as it's being, you don't use the word authentic, but you talk about coming from a place that's uniquely you. Yeah. As a speaker, you are a one human talking to a collection of other humans. And so sometimes we think that in order to be a speaker, we have to be super robotic or formulaic. And I think we've all seen speakers who are giving a presentation, they're giving a talk, and they're so deep in their own mind. And they're thinking about what I'm supposed to say next. I'm thinking about my next line and yada, yada, yada. It's just like, they're just regurgitating something. And so remember that when you're standing in front of an audience, it's important to note that the audience wants you to do well. If you are teaching a Sunday school class, giving a presentation at work, pitching something to your boss, that person wants you to do well. Whoever that is on the other end of that in the audience, you and I have set in uh, multiple presentations and everyone listening has been in presentations or talks from big audiences to very small audience in a boardroom. But as an audience member, whoever's up there speaking or presenting, we want you to do well because I'm sitting here listening to it. So please be good. Everyone listening, they're like, I'm tuning into this podcast. I tune in and I want the speaker. I want the guest. I want the conversation to go well. They are rooting for you to succeed. So don't feel like it's this us versus them that people want you to fail because that's not the case at all. We want you We want you to be really, really good in your presentation. First of all, just recognize how important that is. The other part like that you kind of touched on is that remember as a human that you're talking to a collection of other humans. So act like a human, you know, you don't have to act like this, something that you're not, or don't try to be something that you're not. And so the more comfortable you are as a speaker, the more comfortable it makes the audience. So one of the ways that we think about this is that whenever you are giving a presentation, again, whether that's to five people or 5,000 people, that you are the thermostat, not the thermometer. You Mm -hmm. are the thermostat, not the thermometer. What we mean by that is the audience takes their cues from you. If you as a speaker, if you as a presenter are uncomfortable, you are awkward, you're nervous, you are panicked, and it shows, that same vibe is going to be felt by the audience. The audience is all of a sudden going to feel uncomfortable and nervous and awkward and like, ah, this is painful, right? The audience wants you to do well. So be relaxed and be yourself because again, that that makes such a huge difference when you're presenting any type of idea or concept. I like how I think it was Tony Robbins who said that, you know, you hear one guru say something and it might be their spin, but you hear several gurus say something and you realize this is a truth, right? That I need to learn. And I remember we had uh, Suzanne Arowen on, who is a great communicator. She has a book called How to Work a Room, which is almost, I feel like grand is how to work a big room. And she's like, how to do these interpersonal things when you're, when you're invited to a party. Yeah. But it sounds like you're saying the same thing that she said, which is, even though you're not the host when you're speaking, and I started doing this when I talk, have a host mentality. Like realize that I'm hosting this party and everybody's going to have more fun if I pretend like I'm having fun. 
And I'll yeah, listen. When, you're, when you're standing up at the front of a room, whether this is a couple of people or a whole bunch of people, you have the power of that room. And so again, the audience takes their cues from you. You think about like, there's been times where I have been up there and I just, I just draw a blank. I'm like, wait, what was I talking about? Or where was I going? And if I act awkward or uncomfortable or, or just loopy about it, then all of a sudden the audience feels like that. But if I'm just like, you know what, guys, I just had a total brain fart. What was I talking about? And I'll start to involve the audience. And if it's no big deal to me, then it's no big deal to them. Yeah. Uh, and so, yes, realize that you, again, going back to the, the thermometer, just like a host, a good host sets the tone for the entire room. And the room is the thermometer that adjusts to the temperature that has been set by the thermostat. That's fantastic. Uh, nerves. People get nervous making the best man speech, the maid of honor speech, whatever it might be, Grant. I, I would have to think nerves kind of come with the territory. Like that's a good thing, not a bad thing. Yeah, absolutely. We can go a bunch of different directions with nerves. I'll, I'll give you a few different thoughts here. One is that, yes, you're right. They are absolutely normal. Uh, and oftentimes I think we confuse nerves with uh, excitement. You know, you think about some of the biggest moments that you've had in your life. I think about whenever I proposed to my wife or whenever my daughters were born or whenever, you know, like years ago going in for a big job interview or something like that. You kind of feel those butterflies in your stomach, similar to like whenever you would get ready to get a speech. It's not that you, like when I proposed to my wife and I felt those butterflies, it wasn't that feeling like, I think it's a 50-50 shot here. <laughs> No, like I felt pretty confident going into this that like this is going to work out in, in both of our favors, but I still felt those butterflies. And oftentimes it's your body's reaction. It's your body's way of saying, hey, hey, heads up. This is important. This moment matters. This is a big deal. Uh, and so that's good. I would be more concerned if you're like, every time I talk, I feel nothing. I'm soulless and gutless. Like, ah, well, that's not good, you know? So I think if anything, it reminds yourself that it matters. Now, how do you deal with that to the point that it doesn't become debilitating? And all of a sudden where you're like, I can't even get up on stage and it's just completely overwhelming. And I'm completely panicked and nervous. Having some nerves is good, but how do you deal with it and control it? One of the best things you can do that anyone can do is you have to practice. You have to prepare. So the best speakers on the planet are not those who say, I'm just going to scribble some ideas on a napkin and hop up there and wing it and just hope it all magically works out. Like it just does not work like that. Like you have to spend the time practicing and going over and preparing. So think about like if you think back to middle school or high school or college or university and think about taking a test, you have a choice. Like you can just walk in there and I'm just going to go in there and I'm just going to hope that I hope it all works out. I'm just going to take the test without any preparation or study. You're probably going to fail. And honestly, I hope you do. Versus if you're like, I'm going to spend the time, I'm going to do the practice questions. I'm going to do the review all my notes. I'm going to just, I'm going to really spend the time. I'm going to go in. And when you go in, you may still feel nerves, but you feel a lot more confident. Confident because I feel like I've done the work. I've prepared for this moment. So now I feel like I got this. Yeah, I'm nervous, but I got this. So anytime that I go speak at an event, I spend so much time behind the scenes that nobody sees just practicing and practicing and practicing, going over the talk and preparing and feeling confident so that when I get up, I just, I feel ready. Yeah, I feel the butterflies, but I feel confident and I feel that I've done the work and I'm, I'm ready for it. Everybody listening is giving different types of talks, but there's got to be some guideposts that people can lean on when they're organizing a talk so that I can start practicing and feel good about what I'm presenting. Yep. What are some of those guideposts? Yeah, uh, two big questions that every speaker should be asking themselves. Again, whether you're making a, a pitch to a boardroom of a handful of people or a big presentation to a bunch of people, you want to continually ask yourself two questions. So what and now what? So what and now what? The audience is always asking themselves those two questions. So as you're creating your talk, you want to think through that lens. So what? Why does this matter, right? So sometimes speakers will say, uh, I have a cool story I want to share. I want to share a story about paying off my debt or paying off my house or overcoming cancer or climbing Mount Everest in my shorts. The audience doesn't care. They want to know, so what? That's great. 
but how does that apply to me? So they always want to think through, so what? Why does this matter? The second question is, now what? What am I supposed to do as a result of this? Joe, you and I, we've heard different speakers before, and you leave, and you're kind of like, that was good. I don't really know what am I like, what was the point of that? Or yeah, it's what am like I sh- to do now? It's like know? sugar, right? Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, it tasted like, great at the time, but no take-home value. I have zero idea what I was supposed to do with this. So always think through, okay, why does this matter? Why should the audience care? And now what? What do I want them to do as a result of this? You have in your book different ways that you organize talks that I like too. And I never thought about these in these uh, different ways. Uh, one way is is numerically, like make a list. Yeah. So there are a bunch of different ways. Like sometimes people say, all right, I need to create a talk for some or some type of presentation. How do I put it together? I'm staring at a blank screen. Where do I begin? The reality is, is that there's no like one size fits all, you know, so it's kind of like a movie, you know, a lot of movies follow some general templates, but there's also movies where you may see like, I haven't seen that before. Right. That's kind of different. That's kind of interesting. Or a movie where it's like, they showed the ending. Here's the conclusion. Here's how this is. We're going to spoil it for you now. Here's how this is going to play out. And now we're going to reverse engineer how we got there. If you watch 100 different TEDx talks, you're going to see 100 different types, and they all work. So yeah, you could be something where numerically, I'm going to give you, all right, here's my my intro, my three points, my conclusion. That works. That's effective. You could also do something where one of the more popular commencement talks from uh, Steve Jobs, I think he was uh, speaking at Stanford. Stanford, um, yeah, yeah. He told three stories. I'm going to tell you three stories, and it's three quick stories, and that was it. Stories are incredibly effective and incredibly powerful as well. Others are maybe just kind of like one big point. I'm going to just take one point. I'm going to go super, super deep on that, narrow and deep, and that's fine too. So again, it's not that like you have to do it this way versus that way, but recognizing like what makes sense for the topic, what makes sense for the audience and the problem that you're trying to solve for that audience. Coming up with a story though, I feel like, you know, I've been in financial media now for a decade. It's getting easy now, but man, I remember when I started, and I'm sure for most people listening, coming up with a story was just a bear. It's so, so hard. Where do you find your stories? Yeah, I highly recommend that one, that speakers use as many stories as possible, right? Because stories are memorable. Stories are relatable. If I said right now, all right, let me tell you a story. People will immediately perk up. Try that next time you're giving a talk or presentation. Let me tell you a story. Just use that phrase because you'll notice people all of a sudden tune in. If they weren't really there, all of a sudden they're going to be there because they are locked into a story. They want to know where's the story going. Is this going to be funny? Is this going to be sad? Is this going to be motivational? Is this going to be depressing? Is this going to be boring? I have zero clue, but I'm all in for a story. So to not leave you hanging, let me tell you a story. Let me give you an example of this. My oldest daughter is 13. Each Wednesday night, she goes to our local church's youth group. And so I take her to youth, I drop her off. And then hour, hour and a half later, I come back and pick her up. So here's what I've noticed. I will go pick her up. She just walked out of church just a few minutes ago. She hops in the car and I'll ask her, what did the youth pastor talk about? And I'm like, you just came out. And most of the time she's like, eh, ooh, uh, well, uh, but a lot of times she'll tell me the story. And here's, oh, he told this funny story, da, 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 da. And she'll go on to just regurgitate the story. And some of these stories come to mind right now. I haven't been in the, any of these talks and I haven't heard them first person, but I could tell you pretty close to what the story was because stories are memorable. Tell a lot of stories. Now, where do you come up with these stories? I highly recommend that you use a lot of first person stories because these are very relatable stories that people have lived. So for me, when I stand on stage, I I tell a story about uh, a yearbook from high school. I tell a story about my first car. I tell a story about skydiving. I tell a story about taking my daughters to Disney one time. Now, all of these like just normal human being stories, right? You can tell some, you know, let me tell you about um, the Jones family in the early 1800s. And like, let's tell, let me tell you this case study is about Netflix versus Blockbuster. And like, yeah, like there's a time and place for those. But 
first-person human stories are much more memorable and relatable. So tell as many stories as you possibly can. You mentioned the word funny, and I immediately thought of some of my favorite comedians are people that tell stories that are just from their life, right? These silly things. Jerry Seinfeld, Jim Gaffigan, Brian Regan, these guys that just tell these little tiny stories, these little slice of life, like, you know, Jim Gaffigan talking about there really is only one umbrella. Like he leaves his umbrella in a cab and then somebody else finds it. And then later on, he finds another one. He's like, I just got it back. Right? I just got it back. <laughs> like these, these little tiny stories, which though brings up the other side of that, which is funny. A lot of us don't think we're that funny. Yep. I'll give you a good example of this. Oftentimes people feel like, all right, I know that I want to use more humor, but I don't feel like I'm funny or I don't feel like anything I say is that funny or I, I don't, I have trouble coming up with something. If you're giving the same presentation on a regular basis, but you're giving it to, let's say, different audiences, sometimes you're going to say something off the cuff and not just kind of off the top of your head that is funny. Like, oh my gosh, that that worked. You need to make sure that you take note of that and pay attention to that so that you can use it again. Again, especially if you're giving that type of, let's say you're doing some type of training internally in your company and you, you have to give the same training once a month and there's different people that kind of cycle through and something works, pay attention to that. Use that next time. But here's an example is sometimes you don't have to be the one that comes up with the humor or the funny. I'll give an example of this. So a few years ago, I was speaking at a conference and a friend of mine was giving a keynote, a very funny speaker. He did a great job. And one of the funniest parts of the talk was he showed a video and it was like a, like a quick little 30 second, one minute video. He did not create this video. It was just a funny video that was floating around the internet. He showed the video. So right after that, he does this keynote. Right after that, I'm doing a workshop talking about a lot of stuff we've been talking about, teaching about speaking gigs and how to find a book speaking gigs, how to create, deliver great talk. We were talking about humor. And so I asked the audience, okay, you just saw this other speaker just a few minutes ago. How many of you thought that speaker was funny? Everybody raised their hand. Of course, that speaker was funny. What did you guys think was the funniest part of that presentation? And everybody said the video. Now, all that speaker did was play. He pushed play. He clicked a button <laughs> for something he didn't even create. He didn't have anything to do with it. But, but the audience associates humor and funny with that speaker because of the video. So what are the things that are, are shared around social media, things that are talked about on Facebook, things that you see that you share with the other friends? You're like, that's hysterical. I got to show other people. So sometimes that may be like, you don't have to come up with the humor. You don't have to create the humor. You're clicking a button to show a meme or a GIF or a funny video or something that's just kind of, that's funny and you're able to just kind of uh, piggyback on that humor. I know we have a bunch of people in our audience that are either considering being a speaker or they've done some speaking gigs and they want to take it to the next level. You've written us a book. Well, yeah, I, I say us. I mean, I'm sure you wrote it directly to me. Yeah, you, although, you and your mom. I made the book. <laughs> although I missed it in like the forward and the thank you, like thanking your family and stuff. I don't know what that's about. But the book is called The Successful Speaker, Five Steps for Booking Gigs, Getting Paid, and Building Your Platform. I want to talk about that for a second, because once you've created, now that you've created this great talk and you want to take it on the road, now, Grant, you've done step one, but there's a few other important things that you call out in your book that can really take this to the next level if you want to. Yeah. So the reality is that the nice thing with speaking is that there's no right or wrong way to do it. Meaning that there are some speakers who speak a hundred plus times a year and it's their full-time thing. A hundred percent of their time is spent on speaking gigs, right? And that's fine. And there's other people who are listening right now. They're like, I got a full-time job. I got a family. I got a little side hustle. I don't have the bandwidth to speak a hundred times a year, but I enjoy speaking. I wouldn't mind speaking, I don't know, five times a year or 10 times a year, but I have zero clue 
how do you find gigs and who hires speakers and how much do you charge? And so, yeah, we try to, to take everything that we cover, everything that we've learned being in the speaking industry for years and years and years and just synthesize it to like, here's your next steps. And so we walk through that framework. We, we makes the acronym speak S P E A K. And so, uh, where we teach exactly what you need to do to be able to, to find and book gigs. Uh, I'd be remiss too, if I didn't, uh, call out the podcast, you got a fantastic podcast, the speaker lab. Uh, you know that I only have two listeners to the show, so your secret safe with us. Give us Good. some, give us some secret stuff, man. What's coming up on the show? Yeah. So the podcast has been a lot of fun. We've done, uh, I mean, at the time of this recording, I think 270, 280, some podcast episodes. So anyone that's interested in speaking to any degree, like, like we were talking about those who want to speak full time and those who are like, ah, I just got to give a couple presentations here or there internally for my company, or I got to do something. I'm speaking at something locally, or I'm giving a best man speech. There's plenty of content, plenty of resources there that are available for speakers at, at any level. It's funny. Cause I started with the podcast, but now I have the book. And as you can see, mine is dog-eared already. Like, like I'm glad I've got that. So I can just Cross off, highlight, uh, beat the hell out of your book. The successful speakers available everywhere. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. Uh, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, all the different places and spaces. Go pick up the book. And we will link to it in our show notes page at stackybenjamins.com and also link to uh, Grant's website and also the podcast. Mr. Baldwin. Glad we finally either got you or got you back. Neither one of us remember, but it's great gonna, seeing you we're again. Figure it out. Someone's <laughs> going to message us and figure it out for us. So, uh, yeah, thanks, man. I always enjoy hanging out with you. And in the meantime, I'm going to go uh, pick up some more cookies from mom. You're the man. Hey there, trivia fans. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. And she's, <laughs> did you hear Joe use the wrong there during that interview? It's E I R, Joe. E-I-R, not E-R-E in that usage. God, such an amateur, so uncouth. It's exhausting correcting everyone's grammar. Hey, while I recover from this atrocity, here is today's trivia. On this date in history, a guy named Emil Berliner invented a device very important to this podcast back in 1877. In fact, it's a device that's helped many people be heard around the world. What was his invention? I'll be back in just a moment with your answer. Well, it's funny. So many things that Grant talked about today have to do with performance. And there are so many performance-related people on Masterclass. If you're not familiar with Masterclass, you might not have been here much because OG and I go, go on and on about it a lot. Masterclass lets you learn from the best with exclusive access to online classes taught by masters of their craft. Like public speaking, you can learn the art of negotiation from Chris Voss. You can learn about cooking seafood or restaurant quality desserts with Thomas Keller. You can learn how to manage people from the Devil Wears Prada Woman herself, Anna Wintour. There are over 75 exclusive classes taught by the masters you know and love. Masterclass is an app. It's accessible in your phone, uh, the web, Apple TV. It gives you classes on a wide variety of topics. A lot of them, if you're interested in public speaking, mold around the types of things that Grant talked about today. Not only people like Steve Martin talking about comedy, Penn and Teller, talk a lot about performance and how they do their magic. Speaking of that, Christina Aguilera talks about singing. 
probably don't want to break into song in the middle of a company meeting, but you know what I mean. Usher talks about the art of performance. Sarah Blakely talks about self-made entrepreneurship. Howard Schultz about business leadership and so, so many more. Every class from each one of these masters is broken out into these individual video lessons and downloadable material. The video lessons are not super long, 10 to 15 minutes each. So I try to gobble up one or two whenever we have a break in our recording schedule. Always sharpen the saw, as Stephen Covey says, right? You can explore them in any order you'd like, but they're made to be in a set order. I usually don't go out of order. Maybe I'm OCD, but if you want something specific from somebody, you can just skip ahead. They're all cinema quality classes. I can't tell you about how good the video is and the audio as a guy that appreciates both of those is in all of these classes. Users give them an average rating of 4.7 out of five stars. And that's when you've got a huge, huge number of people that follow you. But just in case you're not completely satisfied, they will give you a 30-day money-back guarantee on the annual all-access pass. So whether you're taking classes like I am or you're digging into the stuff that Grant talked about today, I highly recommend you check it out. Get unlimited access to every masterclass. And as a stacker, you're going to get 15% off the annual all-access pass. Go to masterclass.com slash stacking. That's masterclass.com slash stacking for 15% off masterclass. My fairest greetings, trivia fans. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Douglas, returning without reproach to deliver unabashed on National Grammar Day your succinct and interesting trivia answer. Side note, did you know that OG doesn't use the Oxford comma? That guy is really testing my patience. Before I fluster myself further and wind up in a complete kerfuffle, I'd like to kindly deliver your interesting, dare I say engaging, trivia answer. The question was this. On this date in history, guy named Emil Berliner invented a device very important to this podcast back in 1877 that's helped many people be heard around the world. What was his invention? What was the answer you inquire? Emil Berliner, clearly a deep thinker because he has a name that sounds European, probably also had a great grammar and wanted people to use excellence in all of their time using his invention, the microphone. And to think now, Joe and OG have used Emil's invention to spew poor grammar across the airwaves. It's a disgrace. I need to get back to my apology note to grammar lovers everywhere. See ya! Or shall I say, adieu! Big thanks to Grant Baldwin for stopping by. You know, OG, I think a lot about what Grant talked about when it came to your personal story and finding stories and thinking of your life in terms of stories. I found that when you and I started uh, doing this, we weren't good at that. And over time, learning to tell your story, no matter what it is, ends up being a, a great basis to start this and then makes you think in terms of other people's stories, right? So when you're talking to anybody, leading with stories, always very helpful. When people connect with stories, Much right? I mean, that's just how everything's been translated and transferred down over thousands of generations until the 
Gutenberg press right in the 1500s. Everything was storytelling. So we're conditioned for that. Think about two different people. One gives you a bunch of data while they're sitting talking to you. The other person tells you that same data, but in a story form, Mm -hmm. you instantly like that second person better. The first person you might think of as a know-it-all or, you know, but the second person, much easier to connect with them. Hey, let's throw out the Haven Lifeline and tackle some of life's most important questions. Our friends at Haven Life, they put what you value first. My Grammarly subscription. (laughs) (laughs) I do like mine a lot. Yes. You need it. I be need it. Yes, exactly. That's all I can think of. That's it. Well, it's your loved ones and your time but your loved ones with proper grammar, your time, even better. That's why they made buying quality term life insurance actually simple. Head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash Haven Life now for a free quote. You'll find out how much simpler it is with Haven Life uh, than you'll find other places. Today, we're throwing out the lifeline to our new friend, Patrick. Say hi, Patrick. Guten Tag, Patrick here. Joe's fond of quoting, start with the end in mind. That would have been good information 35 years ago. I joined the Marine Corps on a dare and basically didn't leave until my wife said enough. I've worked the last 10 years in Germany because why not? So my GI Bill benefits are going to expire soon. The question is, with the end in mind, what education has the best ROI for a graduate near 60 years of age? I've always wanted to go to law school, and I know a couple of podcasters who will definitely need legal representation in the future. (laughs) I could be a mechanic and help Doug with the El Camino. How about a pilot's license? That can't be too difficult. Culinary school was briefly considered, but I don't want to get sideways with mom. So what to do? Your other listener and I don't expect to learn anything. And since your answers are for entertainment purposes only, what would you and the rest of the team do with three years of free education? Hopefully it includes podcast lessons. Avita Zane. <laughs> Thanks for the question, Patrick. And thank you very much for your service. Oh, gee, great, great question. Uh, ROI on the GI Bill. Well, I think this is so important to think about for every college decision, you know, not just the GI Bill and, you know, hey, I'm nearing 60 or might near 60 by the time I uh, finish whatever program course that I want to go through. But this is part of the answer, I think, to how do we help maintain college costs in a reasonable capacity and and handle the loans and the obligations that we have coming out of college. Part of it is the stuff we can't control. And I understand that. But also some of it is the stuff that we can control, which is decision making and thinking about your degree program from the perspective of what is going to benefit me the most? What is going to be the good? What is going to be the goodest? Can there you believe I almost said that? What be us the goodest? Would what most be the goodest return on investment? And sometimes those things don't line up with the things we want to do. You know, well, I want to be a chef. I want to be a pilot. I want to be a baker, candlestick maker, whatever. So taking some responsibility, I think, around a good return on your college investment. I think is uh, is always a good lesson. As far as what to do for Patrick here, gosh, it's going to be a pretty uniquely personal decision of what you want to do. You want to go build a law practice at uh, 55 or 60, be of counsel somewhere, or kind of in the back office, do you want to be a pilot? I can tell you from a commercial pilot standpoint, you think about like the big airline pilots, a mandatory retirement at 65. So 
that one's probably not a good ROI. But um, I would look at this from the perspective of what do you want to spend time doing? If you were in the military for a while, you've got a little bit of a pension, hopefully. Maybe you've saved a little bit of cash along the way. So you've got a little bit of a base, if not complete retirement already taken care of. So this is from the perspective of what can you do that will make it interesting, you know, the next 20 or 25 years for your life. I think there's a few things to consider here on top OG of, of what you're talking about. I think it's got to be what you love, but also where it meets commerce. I don't believe in the just passion only thing because a lot of people passionate about stuff that can never pay. Uh, second, something I found when I sold my business at 40, that's a real thing. And, and, and don't get me wrong. There are a lot of people that have suffered way, 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 way bigger discrimination than I have. But there is a discrimination in some marketplaces against older workers. And it's been widely documented. And it's partly because they don't know, Patrick, how long you're going to be around, right? Are you going to stay? They know that you probably have the skills. They don't know that you're going to be with the company for a good long time. So I would think of myself in the way that uh, big management guru Tom Peters talks about people, which is brand you, which means I would think very entrepreneurially if I were you. I would think, what are some skills that I can either get or have where I can plug into an organization knowing that I might not be there for a long time and uh, not be that worried about it? So I really think that uh, going for security, man, I've, I've quoted this a lot lately, but going for security versus opportunity I would I would look to learn how to do things on my terms instead of somebody else's. Well, and to kind of piggyback on that for just a quick second, something popped in my mind here. You know, with all of your mil- military experience and overseas experience, there's got to be something that you can do that combines those things. You know, whether it's helping people with the transition or something along the lines of Europe, Marines, you know, some sort of endeavor that can fix a problem. And you're talking about an entrepreneurial way. Well, Think about it from the perspective of what problem can you fix for other people? He even talked about his mechanic skills. I mean, there may be, yeah. there may be a lot of stuff there teaching people how to do the things that he knows how to do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I would seriously not consider podcasting. <laughs> I, <laughs> I think that's a lost leader that we fell into, but the legal representation thing, Hopefully not soon. Hopefully not soon. Thanks for the question, Patrick. You got a question for us? Guess what's happening? Patrick is right now learning that uh, he's getting a Greatest Money Show on Earth podcast t-shirt from us. Head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash voicemail and uh, OG and I can contemplate your question. That's going to do it for today. Two quick things. If you need better financial planning help in your corner, OG and his team are taking clients. So head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash OG, and that will take you to OG and his team's schedule so that you can find out how they can interface with you for better financial planning. And big thanks to everybody who's left us a review of this show to tell people what they're getting into when they listen to Stacking Benjamins. This review mom has on the fridge OG from Dr. Andrus Borgia, I think it says. iTunes always has these run together. So I think that's what it is. Uh, is that or it's Gerandres Borgia. I do learn five stars. Love the humor and guests. Love the headlines of great discussions. 
I found myself laughing out loud on my commute, but I don't understand all this nonsense about not learning anything. Sure, Joe and OG might only have two listeners, but I learn every episode from Doug's amazing trivia. Keep it up. Mom's so excited to show that to the Bridge Club today. And if you would mind piling on and tell everybody what you think, head to wherever you're listening and maybe mom will find it. All right, that's going to do it for today. Doug, you've got it from here, man. What should we have learned today? Yep, happy to help, Joe. First, take a lesson from Grant Baldwin. Spend some time today improving your speaking skills to have more engaging conversations. Who knows? You might ace that work presentation. Or if you really work hard, you might even up your game and get paid to speak someday. Second, take a lesson from our headline segment. Looking for a way to win more than just french fries? Find creative ways to help out. Maybe you'll end up with some big companies thanking you with a few Benjamins. But the big lesson? Good grammar in the basement is a lost cause. Ain't that the truth? I guess neighbor Doug will just have to go back to talking down to these simpletons. Joe? Oh, I'd be ready to go help your mom with the trash bins. Special thanks to Grant Baldwin for stopping by the basement. You can find his new book, The Successful Speaker, wherever books are sold. You can learn more about Grant by heading to our show notes page or by heading to grantbaldwin.com. This show is created by Joe Saul Cihai, produced by Taylor Stevens, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I'm a lot deeper than you realize. In fact, sometimes I just stand in front of my mirror and reflect. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remunerations. That's a big word. There's no way you take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only. And before making any financial decisions, consult with a real financial advisor. Cheryl and I back at the theater again, OG, and uh, we saw this movie starring two of my favorite actors, Will Smith and Martin Lawrence. This is Bad Boys for Life. You lost your damn mind. Even the Batmobile don't hold the road like this. Tight pants and fast cars don't make you Batman, Mike. Get me out of this car. 
Mike, we got more time behind us than in front. Man, please. Because I'm going to be running down criminals till I'm 100. Not me. I'm retiring. What happened to bad boys for life? It's time we be good men. It's bad boys for life. Who in the hell want to sing that song? Putting you on a new team. You're working with Ammo now. Yeah, Ammo is a. And so Martin Lawrence has decided that he wants to retire, doesn't want to be a bad boy anymore, wants to be a good guy. And uh, like Will Smith said, who wants to sing that song? And while you can't <laughs> see that trailer, what you heard was machine gun fire and all kinds of uh, shoot 'em up happening. Fast cars and explosions. It, it is all fast cars, explosions, and hilarity. Me a hello. It is so incredible. This this movie. You never see action movies or comedy movies get a 75% on Rotten Tomatoes. You just don't see it. And yet this movie has it. And uh, I was very curious. Even the trailer looked hilarious. But so does the latest Will Ferrell trailer with uh, Julia Louis-Dreyfus. And that movie is just getting Will Ferrell having some hard times at the box office lately. Just in some movies that don't seem like they're that good. But. I was already Bad boys for life. I was already interested in, I mean, Will Smith. You got to close up the trilogy. Martin Lawrence together still thought it would be funny. And I laughed my head off. And while I watched stuff explode, this movie is a testament to the fact of this. You don't have to have an incredibly creative plot. It can be paint by numbers. It's the same thing you've seen 900 times. There's a little plot twist near the end that we really didn't expect. However, Overall, there is nothing new in this movie yet because of some fantastic writing and some great jokes. And I don't know if Will Smith and and Martin Lawrence are riffing and just coming up with it on their own or if they got some great writers helping them. Probably a combination of both, I would imagine. What a ride, man. Two hours of fun. This movie was so fun. It was so fun. Yeah. I see it. Bad Boys for Life. Uh, Great. OG calls this a popcorn flick. Very much. Get your popcorn ready. Get your popcorn ready. Turn your brain off. Get ready to laugh. It's it's so great. I will I will do one spoiler about the end. You said they finish out the trilogy. They totally end this movie by setting up the next one. Oh yeah, great. They totally end it by setting up another one. Yeah, which made me go, man. If it's like this film, I could watch this thing again. Yeah, good stuff. Well, stackers, the show is over, but the party is just beginning here. You know why? Because it's Military Appreciation Month, and we are giving out shout-outs to all of our friends who have served in the military. And let's point uh, the finger right here at our good friend OG, who spent time in the military. And of course, we know what a giver he is, even when he pretends like he's being uh, Mr. Surly. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members to help them reach their goals. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate, and you'll see all their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. They've got all kinds of resources on their site, like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. So much going on. Just head over to NavyFederal.org slash celebrate. Take a look at all the Military Appreciation Month offers and their usual offers. Navy Federal, our members are the mission. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender. 